0: How many of you try to look for a sign in things around you? That this is possibly the will of God, or this is a sign that uh, you should do this and should do that. We are absolutely intrigued with those kind of things, as well as we are people of signs. There are so many signs along a road, is it not? You go somewhere, you just have continual signs. And signs can be a good thing. But back in my day, you know, there was a a, a song that was basically a sign, was a, a, a mark of uh, to be rebelled against. Is an old group that sang a song. Some of you older folks know. Some of you younger folks, please put up with us. You know, as we journey back into nostalgia, and it said, "Sign, sign." Everywhere a sign. You know, I'm marking up a scenery, raking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? Yep. And we thought that was pretty cool, you know, and so we tried to break the rules, basically what it said, because of a sign. Things have changed totally different nowadays. This is what we think about this. You see that? Here's your sign. If you've never heard that, here's your sign. Right? It's been made popular by Bill Bill Engvall about people that need to wear signs. What does it mean? This is what it meant. Uh, Basically, it says stupid people should have to wear warning signs that simply state, I'm stupid, so that no one will rely on them or ask them anything. You've heard it. Here's your sign. Folks, with that said, I have to question you as following me as your leader. Yesterday I walked into the fellowship hall about twelve thirty. Flipped on the lights and looked up and said, "What's wrong? These are new LED lights. What is the problem here? They're so dim. I don't. Maybe it's a circuit breaker or something like this." I walked over to the kitchen, flipped on the lights. Same thing. I walked down the hall, flipped on the lights, the same thing. And what I didn't realize is I had these on right here. I was was waiting for somebody to say, here's your sign. Here's your sign. Um, So I, I do that thing regularly. You can ask my wife. So we are going to look at verse 30 today in chapter 24 of Matthew. We are talking about the Olivet Discourse. And we know from the first verses that the disciples ask, what sign will you give us about the coming, about your coming, and when are these things going to be? And we learn from verse 30 that um, he's going to talk about a sign. In fact, it says... Verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So we need to look at some things, folks. As we interpret it, we've got to keep these things in mind. We have to ask ourselves, what event does this describe? We also have to ask, is this the future rapture that he's talking about? Is this the bodily appearance of Jesus in the sky? Because they really believe, there's some people that really believed in Christendom years and years and centuries ago that Jesus would be so large that he would come back and station himself in the sky and that the whole world would be able to see him. So is this talking about the bodily appearance of Jesus in the sky or is it just the return of Jesus to judge the living and the dead? Now, does this apply to us for this day or the days to come? One of the things that we have to be uh, look at is to maintain biblical interpretation principle of context is king. Always remember that. Last week I talked to you, or two weeks before, I talked to you about, let Scripture interpret Scripture. That is a hermeneutical principle. That's a law of Bible study. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. But also, this is another one. Context is king. And here's what we need to understand. This context is determined and under the principle ungoverned by verse 34. Where it says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. That is the time indicator that we have. This generation, and if you go through the scripture, you will find Jesus saying this generation. And in fact, if you go and you circle all the words that say you, understand it, he's talking to the disciples in the first century. That is what he is describing. So when we look at this verse one more time, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, we're only going to look at this morning. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. We need to understand it. We need to know what it is so that we can interpret it properly. Next week, we'll look about at all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, we have some problems, though, with this verse. We have problems. There are a few translations that say this. You may have one that you're reading. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Therefore, there were those in Christendom that thought that Jesus was going to be there. There were others who believed that it was going to be a gigantic cross was going to appear and that was going to be the sign of the Son of Man that will appear in the sky. Now, the word for sky is also the word in the Greek for heaven. But I believe the best translation is to be, is to translate it heaven. And because of this, There are some futurists that believe that there will be a sign that is going to happen before Jesus' second return or his rapture of the church. They believe there's going to be something miraculous, whether it's in the sky, whatever it may be, that's going to foreshadow Jesus' second coming. Today, I want you to look, though, with me at a literal translation from the Greek. This is what it says. in All right, that's all you need for the rest of the day. Thank you very much. Let's go home. No, basically that's Greek. Let me give you the translation to it. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Does that make it different? Yes, it does. Think about it. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And that's what we need to look at and understand. Because here's what's important. It says the sign shall appear. It does not say that the Son of Man appears. It says the sign appears. So we need to take that into consideration and understand that as we go through the rest of this chapter to see what is really being taught. Is it a future rapture or is this something totally different? I believe it's totally different because we're going to see just in a little bit what is that sign Now. Futurists are those who say this is going to be in the future, and this is what Jesus is saying, what he's saying from verse 24, I mean from chapter 24 is going to apply, Jesus speaking in AD, around AD 30, and that this is going to apply way out in the future, even past 2021. They will describe this as the physical second coming of Christ. Now, in the notes of Matthew 24, 29 through 31, in the Prophecy Bible by Tim LaHaye, He's the author, if you've known and read, of, Last be- of Left Behind. Uh, he states that this is a direct quote from Daniel 7.13. He says that in, that in that Bible. This is a quote from Daniel 7.13. Uh, 7, and he also says, let me go back, Christ's return will be marked by the sign of the Son of Man. The clouds of heaven reveal that Christ will come from heaven to earth. Most of you have probably been taught that. That's what I was taught. That's what I believed for a very, very long time. Want to understand this, that there's where it's saying, the clouds of heaven, this is Jesus up in heaven, and he's going to come down to the earth When he comes down to the earth, he's only going to come halfway because he's going to take the saints back up with him, and then he's going to go back into heaven, and then he's going to come back at the end of the age and then set up his kingdom. Now, if we can add basic math, that's how many comings? It's not the second coming, that would be the what? The third coming, right? (laughs) We've got the first coming at his birth. Got the second coming at, grab the saints up, go up into heaven, and now a third coming again. Now, we want to explore these kind of things. What does Daniel 7:13 state? What does it say? This is a prophecy. By Daniel, he receives visions. He's talking about four different kind of beasts in this context. We understand that the last beast he was talking about in that context was Rome. But he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... That's important. Read that. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days... And was presented before him, this is the Son of Man coming to the ancient of days, God himself. So we have to ask ourselves the question is this: What direction is the Son of man going? What direction? Verse nine gives us a clue in Dan, uh, Daniel chapter seven. He says, "As I looked, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Notice that. There's a throne room. There is a throne. This is what Daniel is speaking of. And he goes on to say, and behold, with the house... Clouds of heaven, remember going back to 13. It says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. God on his throne. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus did not come down. It says he came to the Ancient of Days. Where is the Ancient of Days? On his throne, where? In heaven so what was described in daniel chapter 17 jesus is trying to get us to understand that this is him he quotes this and saying this is what's going to happen i am going to ascend to the father i am going to the ancient of days and we understand that from scripture as we allow scripture to interpret scripture so when we go to matthew 26 63 through 64 It says, Jesus remained silent. He's before the high priest. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, where? Seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds Of heaven. Familiar language, right? From Daniel, familiar language. Where is he going? Where is the high priest looking? It says, from now on, you will see where I'm at. Where? Seated at the right hand of the Father, the right hand, in this word, of power. Now, Mark 16, verse 19, says this. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, his disciples, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Where was Jesus going according to this? Was he going, coming down or was he going up? He's going up. Acts 1, 8 through 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, ready? And a cloud took him out of their sight. Here he is coming on the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. He is going up. He is not coming down. We have to keep that in mind, folks, as we are interpreting Scripture and to allow it to say what it's saying. Here's a point, and what I'm saying is this. For the futurist to say that Jesus was coming down based on Daniel chapter seven, verse 13, is not a literal interpretation of the scripture. In other words, futurists will demand us to be literal. In fact, they accuse anyone else that takes a different position than them such as myself, as being liberal and totally out of touch and out of context in our interpretation of Scripture. But when you see this and it says, Jesus, the Son of Man, came to the Ancient of Days, you can't describe it any other way. That's the literal interpretation. It's the Son of Man going up, not coming down. So we need to understand this. And look at it from scriptures. We see this is also vindicated from Stephen. You all remember when Stephen got stoned? He says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Where was Jesus? Jesus is in heaven. Exactly where he said he was going. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It goes further past that. We have the Apostle Paul in Ephesians saying, And what is the immeasurable greatness of, the, of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come." Now, let's think about this. What is the sign? What is the sign that we're talking about in verse 30? Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Okay? What is the sign? The sign is that the Son of Man is now in heaven. Even though the Jewish authorities... And rulers of the temple crucify him and deny his resurrection. That is the sign. He is in heaven. And then we have to ask ourselves, then is there an event that serves as a sign that the Son of Man is in heaven? Folks, we talked about this and we'll reiterate it again next week when we talk about coming in the, power, uh, coming in the clouds and power and of glory. We talked about it two or three weeks ago when we said this was an indication, a prophetic hyperbole discussing the judgment of God. In other words, when God would send His nations that He chose to punish Israel... He would use language in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, also in the Psalms, that says he's coming in judgment. But he's using that kind of language to say this is what's going to happen. It's judgment is coming. And so we have an event that serves as a sign that the Son of Man is in heaven. Now, this is going to take a little while, so I want you all to bear with me. You can turn to it and read it out of your own Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 19 through 24. You know what just happened if you know Acts chapter 2. If you don't, let me tell you. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. And men from every nation, it says, every nation that gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, or feast, comes in, and guess what happens? They start speaking in different tongues, and they are all asking, "What in the world is happening at this point?" Peter steps to the plate and says, "This is what happened is happening. There is a fulfillment now of prophecy. This is the prophecy that spoke of in Joel, chapter two. And he says, in verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. We talked about these heavenly astronomical signs. We talked about how that was metaphors for judgment that came. And that there's going to be a change of rule where one nation conquers another nation. It's not that the actual sun is going to cease giving its light. If that happened, we talked about that. If that happened, what happens? Everybody freezes because there's no light. There's no heat. There's nothing. So he's using this metaphorically. In prophetic language to say there's going to be a turning. There's going to be something new that is about to happen in this. So we understand that that's what's happening. And this is what Peter is telling the men. These things are happening. I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor smoke. Then he goes on and he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, he's trying to get their attention, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, this is speaking of the resurrection now, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ... That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, resurrection, and of that we are all witnesses. Now, where did he raise him to? Look, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, where is he? He was resurrected, and then he was exalted, and where did he go? He went up into the heavens. So, what is the event that will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke? What is it? Okay? Here's the truth. The truth that God has vindicated Jesus through His resurrection and exaltation then triumphed over his enemies through the destruction of Jerusalem, which he prophesied will happen in this generation. Now, I want you to hear from the historian Josephus. This is what he says about that day. He says, But as for that house, he's talking about the temple, God had for certain long ago doomed it, it's important, doomed it with what? Fire. And now that fatal day was come, according to the revolution of ages. It was the 10th day of the month of Luz, upon which it was formally burnt by the king of Babylon, although these flames took their rise from the Jews themselves. The flame was also carried a long way... And made an echo together with the groans of those that were slain. And because the hill was high and the works of the temple were very great. One would have thought that the whole city had been on fire. Now what occurred at Jerusalem in A.D. 70? Here it was. The spilling of blood by the Romans. A raging fire that burnt the entire temple. And the rising of smoke that could be seen for miles. Now, what did we read in Acts chapter 2? What were the signs on the earth? What was it? Blood? Fire? The vapor of smoke? These are things that occurred in A.D. 70. All of this fulfilled everything that the prophet Joel stated and what Simon Peter reiterated to these men. This is what's going to happen. The wonders in heaven, what was it? It was Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God, going back into heaven, in heaven, staying there in heaven. All right, And then the destruction, judgment coming as we see the last part of verse 30. And it says, They will see the Son of Man coming in the, on the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. And all the tribes shall mourn. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. We'll talk about that next week. But this, I believe, was fulfilled in this time in AD 70. So in a nutshell, this is basically what it's saying. Telling his, Jesus was telling his disciples... To look for the sign of his enthronement in heaven. In heaven. If Tim LaHaye is correct, according to his futurist viewpoint, then Daniel 17, 13 is wrong. Because he keeps saying that this means that Jesus is coming down and it's a quote from Daniel 7.13. Daniel 7.13 says he came to the Ancient of Days and God is on his throne. That is where Jesus went. So you cannot use Daniel uh, 7.13 to say there is a rapture because it's not coming down. Jesus is going up and there he is. He is exalted and he is in heaven. So therefore, that verse does not point to a secret rapture or a second physical coming. The key verse again, verse 34, this generation, this generation, that's what he says, this generation will not pass away until the, all these things take place. Here's what we need to understand. From the time of his ascension, 40 years would pass this generation basically was saying this generation before they would understand that the earthly temple was no longer a temple, temporal dwelling place of God. The temple was destroyed. All that Jewish ritual was destroyed. There's no more sacrifice. Jesus became our sacrifice. He is in heaven. The Bible tells us in Galatians that we look up to the new Jerusalem. We look up to our heavenly home. The book of Hebrews tells us the same thing. We are looking upward For our heavenly home. We look for that. And if that is the case. What were the disciples to do? What were they to do? Paul gives us this admonition. You ready? If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are what? Above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above. Above, Not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Notice what he says. Okay? Here is a difference. And as I've told you before, you don't have to believe what I believe. I just want to get you to think about these things and come to a determination yourself. I do want you to study the Scripture, to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and to keep context in its place, and make sure you know what the Scripture is saying. But here's what I want you to understand. Look at this verse, and understand this. We have died to the ways of the world. The Bible tells us that if we have died to sin, we have been raised with Christ. It says in Romans chapter 6, also says here in Colossians 3, we have been seated in heavenly places according to Ephesians as well. We are there positionally. That is where we dwell as Christians, as believers. What does he tell us to do? Set your mind on things above And here's the difference, I believe, in what my thinking is concerning the end of the age and what the futurists believe. The futurists then will go and they will take newspaper articles to try to prove to everyone that Jesus is coming back soon. And so the concentration becomes what's going on in the earth, not what's going on above us and in heaven and what's taking place there and what Christ is doing for us and what Christ has done for us. It's there on events in the future that are going to determine what we need to do. So therefore, an attitude can develop that people get so worried about all the things that are going on within our society with everything that's going on in the world and they become pessimistic about the way the world is and what the world is coming to. They develop a pessimistic attitude and just begin to pray, oh, I can't wait until the rapture comes. Get us out of here, get us out of here, get us out of here. Thinking on things and the plight of the world that is in sin. What this says is something totally different. This says, if we have been raised with Christ, seek things that are where? Where? above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. What is going on above? Have you ever asked that question? What is going on above? We have Jesus Christ there at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, dear saints, praying for you, dear saints, continuing offering his blood for you, dear saints, for the forgiveness of sins, so that you would understand that, that you would walk in absolute total appreciation and total love and total worship towards him and think on those things above and what Christ is and what he's done for you. That's totally different than looking at the newspaper. It's looking now at something totally different and now developing a better attitude because Jesus says that he always is going to have dominion. And if you remember Isaiah, we talk about it every Christmas, that he is the wonderful counselor to the Prince of Peace. And of his government, of his rule, of his dominion, of his continual activity in the earth, there will be no end No end. That means, is he going to continue to call people to himself? Absolutely he is. Is he going to continue to save people? Absolutely he is. Is he going to continue to intercede? Absolutely he is. Is he going to forgive sins? Absolutely he is. You see, it's a different kind of attitude that you have this one more optimistic attitude than something pessimistic. We get our blinders on and thinking this world is going to hell in a handbasket, but we don't take into consideration that Christ is still drawing people to himself. And to the day that last person comes to him that he has chosen as his elect to come, only then will Christ come and then set up his kingdom. That's what's going to happen. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I hope that you're not getting too tired of this because we're going to get into some meaty things in the weeks to come when we're talking about what is going on in heaven and what does the book of Revelation say and is Revelation, is the church really gone after chapter 3 of Revelation that you've probably been taught because from chapter 4 through chapter 19 he never mentions the word church. So therefore they surmise that everybody's gone. At that time, well, folks, if we take that kind of logic, then we have to apply it elsewhere in the Bible where Paul doesn't mention the word church. He doesn't mention the word Israel. So is everybody gone then in some of his writings? Logic would say that if we interpret the Bible that way. We're going to look at some of these things and see how these... how these things are going to take place and I believe that Romans 4 uh, Revelation 4 through 19 is another description of what Jesus Christ is speaking of in Matthew 24 in Matthew 24 and I want to show you some of those things by showing you who is the beast who is the antichrist looking at all these kind of things who are the witnesses those two witnesses what is happening in that situation we're going to be talking about those things but we need to understand you want to get a more positive attitude instead of looking at a, you know news events set your mind on things above set your mind on what Christ is doing give praise and glory and honor to Christ that he is still interceding for you when you sin you have an advocate with the father why? because he's in heaven He's in heaven there advocating for you, dear child of God, forgiving you for your sins. And folks, understand this. Look for those things because I don't want you to become so complacent and so pessimistic that you forget to do the work of God here and now in calling you, yourselves, calling people through God, calling them through you to himself by you witnessing, by you telling people about Jesus Christ. By you giving him praise and glory and honor in everything that you do on this earth. Because that's what he wants you to do. Praise him. Praise him. And praise him. Give him glory. So have a good attitude. Have a great attitude. Believe that God is still building his kingdom. Still is. He's building his kingdom. And will continue to build his kingdom until he says, okay, it's time. That's what's going to happen. let's pray and thank the Lord that he is seated at the right hand of the Father for us. Father, thank you that again you sent your Son to die for us. You sent your Son that we may escape your wrath. And Father, we thank you that the Son now has been glorified and exalted to your right hand. And there he intercedes for us. We give you glory and praise for that. Lord, because we know and we believe that if you were to count our transgressions against us, no one would be forgiven. But now that Jesus Christ has come, Jesus Christ has died, Jesus Christ was raised and was exalted to the right hand of the Father, we know we have forgiveness of sins and that we have eternal life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us to set our mind on things above. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this world. Thank you that you're continuing to draw people to yourself. So Father, I pray that you would draw someone here today to you. Lord, that you would open their hearts so that they may believe in you and believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and thereby be saved. But Father, for all over this world, As there are preaching services, places that are preaching and teaching the word of God, Lord, draw those to yourself. And Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.